I feel very blessed to have met Dr. Kylie, who has taken the time to help educate practitioners on how to simplify any practice. The 90-day program has completely changed the way I practice as it's helped me work smarter rather than insanely harder. Dr. Angela Ram. Dr. Kylie wants you to be successful. She simplifies information that allows you to apply it right away. She is accessible and responds quickly when a question arises. Again, she wants you to succeed and everything she offers reflects that. Renee, who is also in the 90-day program, reports this. Now, these are just a few examples of what can happen inside your practice and therefore your life when you jump inside the next 90-day program. Join us on October 4th and come see what can happen when you say yes. This podcast is sponsored by my favorite supplement companies, Systemic Formulas and My Biome. If you're not using them in your practice, you should be. Come join me inside their fit private Facebook group for practitioners called Systemic Formulas Clinical Nutrition. For everybody else, you can join them on Instagram. All right, let's dive in and get started. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. We have an MD in the house, Dr. John, who is retired, and he's going to walk us through a true journey to health and especially weight. Dr. John, I'm excited to have you on and for you to tell us your story. Uh, Dr. Burton, thank you for asking me. And I am a retired medical physician. My primary boards were in pediatrics. Then I got interested in allergy and immunology. During my about 40s, by the time I am 40 some, I noticed that I'm gaining weight in the winter time, but I lose it in spring. So I thought, okay, in winter I'm not active. But when I reached 50s, I found the weight I gained in winter is not, is not going away. It is adding on. So every year I added one pound, two pound. So I said, there is something here. I don't understand this. So I went to the medical experts and the opinion was improper diet and lack of exercise. So I thought myself, I'm exercising the same way as I was doing before. I was playing tennis. I was shooting, doing yard work. I walk with my wife. I love tennis. Yeah. And then I found they said lack of exercise. I didn't make it improper diet. I was eating the same thing. So I said, there is something wrong here. So I went to the medical textbooks and I looked at, you know, what should I look at? I thought, let me start from the beginning. So I had three questions at that time. One, what makes you feel hungry? You see, if I ask you that question, how will you answer it? I don't know. Right, because we cannot predict when we are going to be hungry, right? So how does the brain, the brain creates the sensation of hunger based on some signals the brain received. Where did those signals come from? How does the brain know this is the time to create the sensation of hunger? So that's the first question. And there were no answers in the medical textbooks except to say, when the blood glucose level goes down, you feel hungry. Okay, if that is the case, a diabetic with high blood glucose should never feel hungry. But sometimes they eat more than others. 
they're, they're more ravenous. So that didn't make sense to me. The second question I had was, what happens to the nutrients that are absorbed? Let us say in the uh, during supper. May I ask, what did you have for supper last night? What did I eat? Uh -huh. um, steak and potatoes and vegetables. Okay. Uh, what time did you eat? I actually ate earlier last night, so it was around 5.30. 5.30. In four hours, the potato will be digested and absorbed as glucose. The steak will be digested and absorbed as amino acids, fatty acids, and cholesterol. And so some of the proteins in the diet will be absorbed as amino acids. So about 9.30, if you take your blood, you will see a high level of glucose, amino acid, fatty acid, cholesterol. And the glucose elevation will stimulate your pancreas to release insulin. So insulin will go with these nutrients to every cell in the body, 32 trillion cells. 32 and is, trillion cells. Yeah. And the it is insulin that knocks on the door. You see, when glucose is outside, you no, know, if somebody rings your doorbell, you know there is somebody outside. But when glucose is outside a cell, the glucose has no doorbell to ring. That is the job of insulin. Insulin does not get into a cell, but it informs the cell glucose is outside. So then the cell has the option, just like you have the option of either opening the door or not opening, the cell has the option to bring in the glucose. In order to do that, the cell has to send a wagon to the door, open the door, load up the wagon and bring it in. So in the next two, three, three hours, the, all the cells pick up what they need and the leftover will come back to the liver. It is the the job of the liver to take care of the excess. So insulin will inform the liver, every cell is happy, this is excess. And any the liver can store only 120 grams of glucose as glycogen for backup. When the blood glucose level goes down, that is released. Any excess glucose has to be stored long-term. For that, the liver will convert the glucose, excess glucose into fatty acid, and then to fat called triglyceride. That is what we store. So as we get older, if we have more glucose absorbed than you can spend before your next meal, the liver will convert that into fat. Any cholesterol from the meal will be cleaned up and put back into the blood. Any excess amino acid will be converted into glucose and then to fatty acid, then to fat for storage. Now, so in the morning when you do a blood test, all the levels are down. Glucose is down, triglyceride is down, fat. Why? Because they have been stored outside the blood into the fat cell. Now, imagine if you will, that your fat cells are completely full, no more room. You inherited a fat storage capacity, say 20 pounds, and those 20 pounds have been stored up. What will happen to the nutrients, excess? They will stay in the blood. 
So if the blood glucose levels start going up because there's no place to store it, what do you call that person with elevated blood glucose? Diabetes. Diabetic. Exactly. Did I use the term insulin resistance anywhere? Yeah, they do. I, no, did I use it? Oh, did you? Uh, I don't think so. Right. So in other words, blood glucose level can go up without the need for the hypothesis of insulin resistance. So this is an alternate explanation for type 2 diabetes. It is not because of insulin. insulin there is nothing wrong with their insulin. So that is, so when I started this process, I thought, hey, there is something wrong with the, uh, this insulin resistance concept of type 2 diabetes. So the first book I wrote was Eat, Chew, Live. Oh, I like that. That is to tell people what is the normal reason for feeling hunger, what is the natural regulatory mechanism. For example, if you take a toddler, you know, anybody from two, six year, two, two years to six years of age. Yeah. And you will observe three things. One, they will eat only when they are hungry. Second, they will pick and choose what they like, regardless how many you make. I know, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old right now. Right, you yeah. are the excellent you know, student for, they are the teacher, uh -huh. observe them. The third thing you will notice is when they are done, they could care less how much is on the plate. They would go out and play. So they decide how much to eat, when to eat, what to eat, and they are growing up normally. If they can do that, why can't we? Right? Yeah. They have all the faculties. Every baby animal, no, nobody teaches them how to eat, how much to eat. They just observe what mother, their mothers are doing and they imitate. Mm -hmm. The same with baby babies, human babies, as long as you provide them with a variety of nutrients, they know what their body is looking for. So that is the first question. So the second thing was, since I have this concept of type 2 diabetes, I started looking into that one. Where is this insulin resistance comes from? You know what? There are 200 different types of cell in the body. You know how many become resistant to insulin? None. Three. Okay. Muscles, liver, and fat cells. Now, think about it. You have a 200 apartment unit complex, a building, rental building, and three occupants in three different uh, places in the apartment complex on their own decide from tomorrow we are not going to respond to the UPS driver. No, no coordination. No reason given. Huh? Is that logically possible? So this is what the endocrinologists tell us. These three cells decided on their own for no good reason not to respond to insulin, which is one of the 50 hormones in our body. Why did they pick on insulin? What is the reason? 
You tell me. I don't know. Yeah. You're making me think exactly. about things I've never thought about before. Right. Just take liver. Liver has 1,000 lobules. That means apart, you know, separate complexes. And each lobule has 1 million cells. Each. And each cell is an independent living unit. That's just like a household. Do you know what is going on in your neighbor's house all the time? No. The cell doesn't know. But endocrinologists are telling us all these cells are resistant to insulin on their own, without any coordination. How is that possible? Take muscles. You know, your muscles are located all over the body, and all of them try, don't respond to insulin. Why? How? Take fat stores. We have fat all over the body, and fat cells are supposedly resistant to insulin. Why? How? So this is illogical. The whole concept of insulin resistance is illogical. There's never I like been this. Over. Keep going. What happened was, in, in 1921, insulin was discovered and that's manufactured. And Dr. Elliot Jocelyn in Boston, he was treating children with type 1 diabetes. And That's these awesome. children used to die by age 10. Then they discovered insulin, lack of insulin. Their pancreas was not producing insulin. So when insulin became available, Dr. Jocelyn treated the maximum number of type 1 diabetic patients with insulin, and they all miraculously recovered. And they lived a long life. And he was so convinced that he trained nurses to go out and preach insulin to every person diabetic with elevated blood glucose level. Then one of his own relatives came with high blood glucose level and Dr. Jocelyn thought this is the same disease happening at an older age. He injected her with insulin, sure enough the blood glucose level went down. And his dosage of type 1 diabetics was based on blood glucose level because there was no other test to measure the effectiveness of type 1 insulin treatment. And when the blood glucose level went down, he thought that type 2 diabetes is the same disease happening at an older age. The unfortunate thing was he had no way to measure insulin level in the blood of that person. Yeah, because he's only measuring blood glucose. Correct. Okay. But later on, when the insulin test became available, blood insulin test became available, they had a big surprise. At the time of diagnosis, every adult type 2 diabetic patient had normal or even elevated levels of insulin. And they are normally functioning insulin because if you take that out and inject to a non-diabetic, the blood glucose level will go down. So functionally, structurally normal. So that created a problem. You have higher insulin, high blood glucose at the same time. And now, something parallel was happening at this time. The first reports of penicillin-resistant bacteria was published. Yes. So Dr. William Falta in Vienna 
hypothesized maybe a similar mechanism is happening in type 2 diabetics that their cells are resisting insulin he just hypothesized which is any good researcher should do then it has to be validated any branch of science any hypothesis before it is accepted as fact has to go through a three-step validation process one is logic does it make sense just like we discussed a few minutes ago second what is the mechanism is it the doorbell not ringing or is the ringtone going not going to the control center or the gene in charge of sending the wagons not functioning or the wagon themselves the, are not functioning and is it the same defect in muscle in liver and in fat cells nobody knows there is no mechanism the third thing so first is logic second is mechanism the third is a test you need to have a, a reproducible test that anybody else can verify it have you ever heard of a test for the to measure the degree or intensity of insulin resistance there is no such test no, we, we have like a pattern that we would see for insulin resistance but 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 based on glucose level yeah but there's no, no direct test right yeah. there's no test so how can you know if whether you are newly diagnosed you have complications you are type 2 diabetes for 20 years is it because your resistance is getting worse or give somebody insulin now by the way if you are resistant to an antibiotic will the doctor give you the same antibiotic no but here you are told you are type 2 diabetic because your body is resisting insulin and what does the doctor give you insulin yeah uh, how does that make sense i don't know you're the doctor you tell me it does not make sense that is why i wrote this book diabetes the real cause and the right cure i use the term cure because right now endocrinologists will say if you have uh, insulin resistance you, you cannot escape it that is for the rest of your life how can a pregnant woman develop type 2 diabetes and after delivery it goes away so it is a temporary insulin resistance or what it makes no sense so then about 14 years ago i was diagnosed with cancer so i asked the oncologist why how did i get it i i have no change i have no exposure he said check the american cancer society website okay i went there I checked, it says improper diet and lack of exercise. That's what it says on there that it causes cancer? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And when I went to India, I went to visit my medical school where I trained. At that time, when I was training, there were no cancer ward or cancer building in the campus. This time, when I went there, there were two eight-story buildings, one for adult cancer, one for children's cancer. The incidence has gone up so much. So I asked the oncologist, 
Why? You know what he said? Improper diet and lack of exercise. So if you ask uh, somebody in Africa, in Australia, in the Middle East, they will give you exactly the same answer. So I thought, how can the diet be improper all around the world? How can people just like that develop uh, cancer? It did not make sense to me. And I asked my oncologist, I know, I responded to my chemo, I recovered, and I asked the oncologist, how can, can you tell me, when I said I'm an ex-cancer patient, that I don't have any more cancer cells in my body, left over. He said, no, nobody can guarantee there are no more cancer cells left in your body. So I asked, what can I do to prevent them from growing again? He said, go to the Cancer Society website. Diet and exercise. Exactly. So I, it did not make sense to me. So I researched that and wrote my next book, Surviving Cancer. Okay. So it tells you, you know, yes, you have to follow instructions. Cancer is uncontrolled cell multiplication. So you need treatment to prevent or destroy the cancer cells that are multiplying. But there's no guarantee there are, they hit every cancer cell in the body. They may be hiding someplace. Most of the time, by the time you detect cancer, it has been going on for five, 10 years because the cancer does not produce any toxins. They don't destroy the neighboring cells. So it is very difficult to identify. That is why cancer in hollow cavities, like uh, a ovarian cancer, it is so difficult. Pancreatic cancer, so difficult to detect. By the time you detect, they have done so much damage. They were. So that when I was giving a talk to the cancer hospital, one of the cancer doctors, oncologist stood up and asked, Dr. John, the average age of an adult with cancer is 60 plus because it takes accumulation of mutations of six decades to have a cancer stem cell, okay? But the average age of a child with cancer is six. The child has not lived long enough to accumulate mutations. How can a child have cancer? So I looked into that and nobody had the answer. So what do I do? You write a book. When your child has cancer. You've been a busy man since you <laughs> retired. Yes, yes. So what I am proposing is, do you know when we have the maximum number of precancerous cells in our body? When we, when you are in the mother's womb, in the fetal stage, uh -huh. why? Because when you construct a home, well, we're building. That's like Correct. the biggest building stage in our entire existence. And suppose all the builders, all the people who work are novices, they have no previous experience. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Yes. That is what is happening in every womb when the baby is being constructed, or I should say being produced. All the enzymes that put the cells together, they 
when the genes together, they are all novices. They make so many mistakes. But nature knows that. And it has provided the immune system. And the immune system destroys 99% of the precancerous cells before the child is born. The way to treat the to, or to prevent the cancer would be logically to build up the immune system. Exactly. So the question is, why should a child has cancer? There are only two reasons. One, either the cancer cells multiply faster or two, the immune system is weaker. Most of the child's time when a child has cancer, there is nothing wrong with the immune system because otherwise the child would be having more infections and Yeah, they'd be sick all the time. Right. But, so that means only one, leaves only one thing, that the cancer cells are multiplying faster than the capability of the immune system to destroy them. So that is how, uh, you know, what to do about that. Five books? Oh, when, you're, when your child has cancer, okay. Yeah, All right, guys, yeah. we've covered four books now. Four books. To the live, this is coming from an MD, retired. He's gonna flip your idea if he hasn't already about insulin resistance and diabetes. The second book leading into diabetes, The Real Cause and the Right Cure. The third book from his own story, Surviving Cancer. And the fourth book, When Your Child Has Cancer. As you guys can all know, I'm, I'm eating this up. I know you listeners are eating this up too, because this is exactly what this podcast is all about. So I am so glad you've joined us, Dr. John. Keep going. Then we had the pandemic. During the pandemic, I noticed Don't even get me started. All right, here we go. Then we had the pandemic. And during the pandemic, I noticed something. That is, there is so much information coming misinformation, disinformation, a lack of information, and people, how do you believe? Whom do you believe? So I started the process. Okay, how can I help people understand? The, the problem is the amount of science, knowledge of science is going down. The science is progressing so rapidly, but the science education in schools it's not keeping pace, keeping up. So there's a big gap between scientific knowledge and science knowledge. And so anybody can fill that gap and a charismatic person or a person in the leadership, leadership position says, if the COVID virus is man-made in a laboratory, some people will believe it. If they say you don't need precaution measures, you don't need social distancing, you don't need masks. Some people will use their own grievances, say, oh, we need freedom, we need religious freedom or other personal freedom. Who are you to tell me to wear masks? Who are you to tell me I should keep social distance? So there is a big disconnect that is being filled by people of who should be responsible but they themselves don't understand science. So they come up with their own feel-good stories, what their followers would like to follow. So what did I do? Come up with the next book. <laughs> Your Health is at Risk, How to Navigate Information Chaos. 
to prevent lifestyle conditions or diseases like pandemics, type 2 diabetes, cancer, and cardiovascular disease. So I just published this uh, January of this year. Yeah, you're, you're a busy man. <laughs> well, five books underneath your... But I cannot do the job by myself. That is why I rely on people like you to spread the word. Or I'm, I'm on my website, I don't sell any products, no supplements, no medication, nothing, only information. I have animation videos to explain type 2 diabetes, obesity, cancer. About 12 minute long animation videos so people can understand what I'm talking about. All I'm trying to do is to let the people take charge of their own health. You have to start asking questions. In fact, at the end of this book, the last book, I have sample questions that patients can ask their doctors. What book is that? The same your health is at risk. Your health is at risk. Okay. The many often patients are afraid to ask their doctor a question because they feel the doctor will feel threatened or he's questioning the patient is questioning the doctor's knowledge and some of the doctors are very intolerant of being asked but so we need but at the same time the patient has to be in charge the doctor is helping the patient so the patient has to feel empowered that he or she can ask a question if they don't understand what's going on. The COVID is an excellent example. I don't know how much I should go into the COVID. Go for a couple minutes. We'll close okay. up here. But I, I, from what you've shared, I think I'm okay. going to like it. COVID is made of RNA virus. The RNA virus has 30,000 building blocks called nucleotides. When, if I, if you go to in front of a mirror and breathe on the mirror, what happens to the mirror? Foggy. It gets foggy. Why? Of the humidity in the air. Because each breath contains water vapor, water droplets, and it hits the mirror. If you are infected with COVID, each of those droplets can carry a virus. So if you breathe out, when you cough, when you sneeze, you're spewing the area with virus. And if somebody is in front of you, that virus will go into the nose. Now, the interesting part is that virus cannot get into your body through your skin, but it can get into your body through your nose. Why? because the virus needs a particular receptor. Just like, remember the insulin receptor, the insulin can... The ability for the cells to recognize the insulin, something's gotta recognize the virus and pull it in. Exactly. Yeah. And the virus attaches itself to the cell wall that is called ACE2 receptor. And then, this, once the connection is made, the cell opens up voluntarily an opening. The cell thinks whoever is attaches, who can attach to that receptor is beneficial for the cell. The cell cannot make a value judgment. It will open the door and the virus gets in there. It goes straight into the nucleus. 
in the nucleus there is one gene in charge of production of proteins protein production is going on all the time so the virus will force this gene to produce a work order with the blueprint of the virus and a messenger rna will pick that order and take it to the factory in the cell outside the nucleus in the cell to make copies and the cell will keep on churning out copies and these copies will come out of the cell and then it can drop down into the lungs and lung tissue also has the same receptor it can infect the lung especially if you already had a lung problem like asthma or, or chronic bronchitis or emphysema it will damage your lungs and each time you breathe out you're spewing the area suppose you wear a simple mask you don't have to breathe in this germ at that level so this is or keep social distance because the droplets are 10 microns it will be attracted by gravity will pull it down in about four to five feet at that time what the experts did not know was this virus can mutate and compress itself into 5 micron, which is an aerosol. Just like you spray, it can go further and it can spread faster. And that is why the virus, mute, each mutation means either strengthening or weakening. If it is weakens, it will die off. If it strengthens, it will spread further, it will stay on the receptor of the cell longer so that there's more chance of the virus getting into the cell that is what happened to the uh, virus and once it reaches there this the it can evade antibodies it can become aerosol it can become more virulent once it reaches that shape then the virus has to take one or two paths it can either become more spreadable or more virulent if it becomes more virulent it kills the host then it cannot survive so this becomes the less virulent variety that can evade antibodies become the predominant one that is what happened with omicron and this will go down to the southern hemisphere and there it will mutate there and come back here when our antibody level is down as seasonal flu. So the 1918 pandemic virus is still with us every season, flu season, that is what is coming back. Very interesting. All right, guys, we were loaded with some information that makes you think and makes you really think about what we've been told about insulin resistance, diabetes, cancer, and even childhood cancer. So go check, check out his website at drjohnonhealth.com, D-R-J-O-H-N-O-N-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Find all of the real information so you can navigate the information of chaos. Um, so next time you think you're going to go search on Google, try searching Dr. John's website first. Thank you, Dr. John, for sharing your wealth of knowledge. Go grab your books. Where can they find your books? on amazon okay so we have the first book eat chew live book two diabetes the real cause and the right cure book three surviving cancer 
book four, when your child has cancer, and book five, your health is at risk. How to navigate information chaos. Find all of them on Amazon. I'm already thinking of a couple people I need to connect you with because you're brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. Well, again, all I have is ideas. I need people like you or help from people like you to spread the word. I'm not criticizing anybody. All I want is people to understand they are in charge. They have to take charge of their health. They cannot just follow the orders. There are, there are two types of patients you will see in, in any practice. There are those who ask questions. They want to know, they want to take charge. Then those who are afraid to ask questions, but they accept what you tell them. They, they don't want to think. They just want what they can do. And that is very difficult. Yeah. If, you, if somebody starts asking questions, but the problem is, no, the doctors are not trained for that. They're, they're trained to diagnose and to give medicine that's supposed to help. Exactly. And, and like myself, I'm, in, I'm only five years out of school, but I don't remember much anatomy just because I haven't used it. Right. So you don't use it. Yeah, we might have been talked about it or mentioned one class in some textbook, but that yeah. doesn't mean that we, were, we can pull it from our brain cells like that. So go to Dr. John's website, drjohnonhealth.com. Learn what you need to learn. Get the real facts and grab his books too. Thank you, Dr. John. You heard it. Loads of gold on today's episode. Now it's your job to go out, create more impact, change more lives, and have more freedom and more income while you're at it. Need help reaching this? Come join us inside the 90-day program on October 4th at drkylieburton.com slash 90-day-program. This podcast is sponsored by my favorite supplement companies, Systemic Formulas and MyBiome. Come join me inside their private Facebook group for practitioners called Systemic Formulas Clinical Nutrition. All right, go out and change the world. I'm here to help. Dr. Kylie.